If you have your Bibles, I want want you to go to Hebrews chapter number 12, the book of Hebrews chapter number 12. I appreciate you all allowing me to be off last week. I'm glad I got to be in service as a worshiper. And uh, how many of you all enjoyed Robert Madu? Wasn't he absolutely amazing? I think I can go on vacation for like a, a month and just leave him here. He would be, he would be fantastic. Hebrews chapter number 12. Uh, I want to read two verses in your hearing, and, and I'm, I'm going to just preface this before I get into it. Uh, uh, this, this message is going to get a little bit sensitive, okay? Um, uh, I, I feel a burden uh, to teach this message, uh, uh, so much so uh, our altar ministry is going to be a little bit different. Uh, uh, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you through this message, and I believe he's going to because he placed it on my heart to teach, uh, then we're just going to have a time for you to just come up specifically for what I'm going to teach, and we're going to pray, uh, and then we'll go and conclude the service after that. But Hebrews chapter number 12, only we're going to read two verses uh, out of Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, and then I'll give you uh, the message, and then we'll pray, Okay. Uh, work at living in peace with everyone. Now, that could be a sermon right there. I could just do uh, like seven weeks on that by itself. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. I want to read that last sentence again. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Uh, So I want to uh, teach uh, from a message entitled, Don't Be Bitter. That's it. Just... Don't be bitter. Would you say that with me? Don't be bitter. Again, don't be bitter. One more time. Don't be bitter. So don't be bitter, okay? Bow your heads, let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us not be bitter. Just pull it up by the root today. In Jesus' name, amen. This message is going to be a little bit different for me because I really just need to uh, share my testimony with you uh, of an instance where bitterness got into my life. And then I want to give you uh, three points about bitterness and then uh, three points about how not to be bitter. Okay, so it'll be a total of six points. But I want to share with you up front uh, a season of my life where um, a root of bitterness set in. And uh, there were two that I was tossing around in my mind uh, to share. And uh, while we were in worship, uh, the most uh, intimate one kind of won out. Uh, And he won out because that's the one the the Lord wanted me to share. I was like, how about I just share the other one? And he's like, no, I want you to share this one. Uh, I was born and raised in Southern California. Uh, I have... Uh, a younger brother who is uh, 17 months younger than I am. Uh, his name is Miles Edward Ross. Uh, my best friend growing up, he was uh, just the best little brother anyone could have. Because we were 
under 24 months uh, between us. My mother used to dress us like twins uh, until people just started to really just go, stop, lady, they're not twins. So they're not even fraternal. So just <laughs> you had them 17 months apart. Stop. Uh, but at least she was a maximizer because she just bought two pair of jeans, two pair of shirts, and was like, both of y'all wear the same thing. Um, grew up with him. We, we, this, is, this is the person, I don't know if you all, how many people have siblings that you're close to? Siblings that you're close to, okay. So, so if you're close with a sibling like I am, uh, you probably have some movies that you could probably just pick up the phone and quote one half of a line from a movie and they can finish it, and both of you all will be laughing, and nobody at your respective houses will know why you are so tickled by something so silly. Uh, you just share these moments that, that, that carry with you and, and go with you throughout your lifetime. Uh, my brother and I were that close. We were, we were best friends. We had a rap group together when we were young, and uh, we were the best in our whole school. We could dance. Uh, that was back in the days when you had uh, dancers and groovers. And, and uh, we had these dance troops, and we always won the competitions. We were like just the best buddies. And the plans that we had uh, for our lives always included each other. No matter what we thought we were going to be doing, it was like, okay, you're going to be doing that, and I'm going to do that. We're going to bring that together, then we're going to do this. And we're just inseparable, and it's just amazing uh, uh, relationship that I had with him. Uh, if you've noticed by now, uh, I'm talking in past tense, was and had because he is no longer with me. He's preceded me in death. September 17th, 2004, uh, my younger brother, Miles Edward Ross, was killed tragically in a single auto uh, traffic accident. He died instantly. The coroner said that he did not feel a thing. I was on my way uh, to preach in Baltimore, Maryland. I had just landed in Maryland, and Juliet and I had just walked into uh, the senior pastor's office around 9 a.m. in the morning, uh, and this is in 2004, so uh, there's the, set, the cell phones and the text messages uh, have not uh, had their ascent to keep people connected like they do now. And so there's a phone call that comes in while we're in uh, the office of the senior pastor uh, at 9 a.m. in the morning uh, uh, to the admin office, and my mother's on the phone, and uh, they said he needs to speak to me. I thought instantly this had to be about my father. My father, one year prior, in 2003, had a brain aneurysm. Uh, he actually coded red and died while holding my brother and I's hands, telling us that he loved us. It was uh, uh, a devastating uh, picture, if you can imagine, being in that type of situation. They had to drill a hole in his head to relieve pressure from his brain. I thought he was going to die. He was in the uh, hospital for a couple of more months. Miraculously, God healed him. He had a 1% chance of living. He's still alive today. So when we talk about the God being a God of miracles, every time you see my daddy walk in this building, you can just start singing that song in your head. Don't sing it to him. He'll think you're weird. Um, but you can start singing the song in your head because we know that God is a God of miracles. So when I got a call in Baltimore a year later, I thought there may have been a relapse. I thought there may have been uh, some complications with his recovery. And I expected to get on the phone and my mom to say, hey, dad's back in the hospital. Uh, I was not expecting her to say, 
that my brother Miles was dead. Um, I, I tend to be a very um, uh, cerebral person in the way that I process, uh, but when I heard that news, I just lost it. Uh, I was devastated. I remember going numb, running out into the middle of the street, hoping a car would hit me. Uh, I know that sounds crazy, but when you are uh, grieving in that, that sudden moment, it's just, it's just it's too much. Uh, the senior uh, pastor and her husband, the husband happened to be a black belt in karate, and so I'm running around in traffic, and he just puts me in some karate move and pins me on the floor until I calm down, and I'm like, ah, ah, oh, okay, well, well, yes, okay, well, Jesus, I guess everything's going to be okay, especially since this guy's knee is in my back. Uh, I preached that weekend. I know my wife has something to do with that. I was so upset at the time that I just thought to myself, I just want to see some people get saved. I just want to preach the gospel and see some people get saved. My brother's not in the earth anymore. Uh, I, I want to see some people get saved. And so I, I, I still preached that weekend, but I flew home. Uh, I flew home, had to fly to California. My younger brother didn't have things like insurance and stuff set up. And so uh, I'm hitting up everybody, every one of his friends. Uh, I'm like, we're not doing car washes. We're not doing a rally. I know you have four grand. Give it up. I know you have a thousand. Give it up. I just turned into an auctioneer. You, 500, you, 50, da 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 da, da. Okay. Uh, we, get, we get the uh, money for his funeral. Uh, over uh, 500, almost 600 people attend the funeral. 50 of them gave their life to Jesus Christ at his casket. At his casket. The Holy Spirit gave me strength to eulogize my brother's funeral. Uh, at the gravesite, um, I told them to bring the dirt. I started to put the dirt on top of the casket. And I just told, uh, uh, speaking to uh, the casket, knowing that my brother is with Jesus. He had given his life to Jesus uh, two years before he died. Uh, hey, I'm, not, I'm never coming back here. You're not here. I'm not coming back. Uh, so I'm just, this is just a moment of closure for me and I'm going to go home. I went home and started what I believed to be a healthy grieving process. Uh, but what I thought was a healthy grieving process was anything but. Um, I was angry with God. Ridiculously, unequivocally angry with God. I said stuff like, um, so let's have a talk. I just want to get this straight. So I give my life to you, okay? Then you want me to preach. I didn't ask to do that. You did. I start preaching for you, and I'm trying my best to live this life the way you want me to live it. And what I get in return is the death of my little brother? You're ridiculous. As a matter of fact, you're so ridiculous, I'm not preaching for you anymore. Now, this might sound sacrilegious to some of you, but, but there's a scripture that, that I love because of what it implies. It says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Uh, here's what I think it implies, even though it doesn't say it, uh, which means he's also not petty. That one of his children can vent without him going, oh, are you talking to me like that? Cancer. <laughs> oh, wait, is that the way you're going to talk to me right now? 
car accident. Is that the way you're going to talk to me right now? House in foreclosure. God's not petty. I've heard people say, don't talk to God like that. Watch your mouth. Don't, don't say that because God could knock you down. But then, he, then he's petty. I don't want to serve him. If he's petty in his emotions like that, to where I can't throw a tantrum. So I'm going off. Can't believe you. I'm never preaching for you again. And you killed the wrong brother. I have an older brother. You know I don't like him. (laughs) You got your stuff confused, sir. Your angel should be fired. I'm just vomiting all this stuff out. What I didn't know is that I was watering a seed of anger into its sprouted roots. And the roots that went down into the soil of my heart was bitterness. I tried to put on a good face and act like I had everything together. But it changed my perspective of God. And here's the dangerous thing about bitterness. Whether it's against God or somebody else, it starts to eat you from the inside out. There's so many people that try to justify certain sentiments against individuals, and particularly a lot of times against God. But if you get down to what the root is, it's not about him. So when we sing a song like he's a good, good father and declare that he is perfect in all of his ways, how do you reconcile that with the death of a loved one? With going through pain in your body? When situations don't seem to be fair in your life and you've been faithful? There's some people here that may have had a hard time even singing that refrain. Some may have just dropped their heads and decided not to open their mouths and say, I, 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 I can't honestly stand in the presence of God and say that I think you're really, really good right now and that you're perfect in all of your ways. Maybe some of them, I'm not sure I give you a perfect score in all of your ways because I don't understand them. And what I love about God is that he's patient enough with us to allow us to go through what we need to go through, ask the questions that we need to ask, pose the scenarios that that trouble us without getting angry at us for asking those questions. I think it hinders our healing to tell people, don't ask God why. Now, you can't demand an answer, but you can pose the question. It was... Four months, 120 days of anger that sprouted into bitterness and brought in and invited with itself that spirit of bitterness, a spirit of depression. And I wasn't grieving anymore. I was depressed. I wouldn't eat. I was hardly sleeping. I dropped a bunch of weight. And I'm kind of wrestling with all of this internally. 
And I kept going to counseling. And I remember sitting in the counselor's chair one day and she asked me this question. She said, um, and this is after I threw a tantrum. She said, would you rather have had the 27 years that you had with your brother and have a life full of memories to go on with? Or would you rather God have not given you your brother at all? And it was that question that put everything into perspective for me. And I remember going back home and praying and saying to the Lord, I still don't have the answers that, that I want. I still don't have the answers that I was seeking. But I believe that you're sovereign. I believe that you know better than I how all of this needs to look. I don't have the perspective you have, and so I trust you even though I don't understand you. And I remember that, that root drying up because I was no longer holding God responsible for what happened. What's amazing to me about bitterness is that most times when I sit down with people, and they start to tell me why they're angry with this person or upset or, or ha- have this, this sentiment. I realize that the majority of the time, they're upset because a want or a desire that went unmet changed their relationship with a person or with God. They wanted something, they didn't get it, and now for forevermore, I'm mad at you, I don't like you. So I want to give you some points, some things that I learned about bitterness. Point number one, write this down. Bitterness is the fruit. Bitterness is the fruit. Anger, animosity, and envy are the seeds. Bitterness is the fruit that comes from anger, from animosity, and from envy settling into our hearts. Um, animosity just means a strong dislike for somebody. If, you, you, if you've ever had an acrimonious relationship with somebody, just a big word that there's, there's just acidity between you all. You just can't get along with them. A root of bitterness can take place. And so, but bitterness is the fruit. It's not It's not the seed, it's the fruit. Anger is a natural emotion that we have. Animosity is not. (laughs) To have a strong dislike for something, it's not a natural emotion. We, We grow that, especially as it relates to people. And envy, we're not supposed to be envious of people, but we can get envious of people. And when that seed settles into the soil of our heart, bitterness takes root. Now, here's what happens uh, with bitter people. They change. You don't have to use discernment to find a bitter person. You don't need to exercise the gifts of the spirit. 
You don't need to just, mm, I just, I'm, I'm sensing something right now. When, when, when somebody has a bitter spirit, you know it. You can tell when an individual has it. You can tell when collectively a family has it or a congregation has it. Have you ever been in, have you ever went into a church and you were like, hi, and you were like, mm, oh, oh, I, mm. Well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave. Why? Because you've bitten to the fruit of that person and your teeth clenched. Your jaws clenched. Because there's something sour there because a root has taken place. And so bitterness is fruit, but the, the seeds are an anger, animosity, and envy. Point number two, write this down. Bitterness is poisonous. Bitterness is poisonous. The best quote I've ever heard on bitterness in my whole life is uh, bitterness is uh, a poison that you drink and expect me to die from. I'm going to say it again. Bitterness is a poison that you drink and expect me to die from. You guys know I see everything in my head, so I have to act out everything. You guys already know this about me, okay? So just imagine... Uh, uh, somebody with bitterness in their hand, talking about, I hate you, want you to die, can't stand you. You're going to die. I'm going to watch you die. You're going to die. You're going to all die. I'm going to watch you die. You deserve to die for what you did to me. <coughs> oh, boy. Wow. Uh, you ain't dead yet? How come you haven't died yet? God, how come you haven't stricken down my enemies yet? Uh. <coughs> oh, <coughs> man. Oh, boy. You're going to get it. Don't worry about me. You, I promise you, you, if it's the last thing I do, I'm going to watch you pay <coughs> for what you did to me. Divorce me if you want to. <coughs> you, mm-hmm, you're going to die. I promise you're going to die. <coughs> you're going to die. I promise I promise you keep messing with the wrong person, you're going to die. I'm God's favorite. <laughs> Touch not as anointed. I have watched people do that emotionally relationally and physically because on the inside they couldn't let it go bitterness is a poison point number three bitterness is contagious it would be one thing if it stopped with you But it's contagious. 
I have seen bitter people turn other people bitter because they're just very influential and persuasive. And a bitter person that has a gift of communication is one of the most dangerous people on the planet because they can, with eloquent words, justify the sentiment and the emotion to the point that other people who are just at the point of having that anger, that animosity, that that envy fertilized, just need the right amount of encouragement to go all in on a bitter orchard. And what started off as one bitter piece of fruit turns into an entire orchard of bitterness where everyone you meet that is surrounded with this type of groupthink are hateful, mad, angry. The worst people you'll ever be around are bitter Christians. They're the most uncomfortable people to be around because they mix in scriptures with all of their bitterness. And it just gets confusing to listen to. Bless God, I don't stick around with them. <laughs> Leave me if you want to. Ha-ha, <laughs> yeah. God made me the hell and not the head and not the tail. I said the hell and not the tail, and that's really, I probably meant the first one. They know just enough scripture to try to justify their emotion, but the emotion is toxic. At the end of it, you walk away feeling like, oh my goodness, I don't know, man. If you've ever heard a bitter person preach, man, you just walk away, you were like, amen? I think, amen. I'm not, that's, I don't know if I should, should I say amen to that? Better yet, who are you talking to? Are they even here? Is this a therapy session <laughs> that was supposed to happen Tuesday and you missed it, so you're telling us, but you're using Jacob as a backdrop? And it's contagious. And people can take on that spirit, and before they know it, it's so subtle they start producing the same type of fruit. So there's uh, three things uh, that I want to share with you on how not to be bitter, okay? And uh, I hope these things will be something that you can use for yourself. And if you know some other people that are bitter, please watch the way you submit it to them. (laughs) Nothing worse than somebody coming home, oh, you missed it today. That whole sermon was for you. (laughs) Podcast comes out on Monday. I'll send you a link. So you can write this down as a note before we get into it. How not to be bitter, okay? How not to be bitter. Very, very simple stuff on how not to be bitter. Point number one, write this down. Don't stay angry. Don't. Stay angry. Uh, Ephesians chapter number four, verses 26 and 27. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Okay, so so let me stop right there. Anger is not a sin. 
unless it controls you. Okay? God gets angry. We're made in his image, so we have an emotion that we can get angry at something. Injustice should make us angry. Mistreatment should make us angry. Abuse should make us angry. But the anger can't control us. We can have the emotion. The emotion can't have us. If anger controls you or animosity controls you or envy controls you, it's a sin. And he says, so don't uh, let anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. <laughs> there's, there's enough. If you turn on the news for 12 minutes, at any time of the day, there'd be enough for you to get angry with. Don't you think the enemy wants you angry? Let me tell you why he wants you angry. Because he wants a foothold. So he's going to try to open up an emotion in your life of anger so he can get a place to come in. And he doesn't even need the news. He can get you in traffic. Some of you all have not let a foothold in. You've let his whole leg in, his thigh, his right hip joint is in the door by the time you get to work on Monday morning. <laughs> Don't be angry because if, 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 if the anger controls you, the enemy has an open door, a foothold to get in to start counseling you. Listen. The enemy loves to counsel people who let their emotions control them. And I know you've been in this counseling session before. I know how it sounds because he's counseled me a few times. You get angry. You don't let it go. It controls you. The foothold is there. And here it comes. Oh, so, so, so is that what they think is going to happen? They're just going to, oh, they, they probably think that you think that they don't know that you know. They think you're stupid. Here's what you should have said in that meeting. What you should have said was this, and then they would have said that, but then you would have came back and said this. And tomorrow, if they even look at you crazy, Here's the first words that need to be out of your mouth. And remember that one statement that they said that you got you kind of flustered and it shut you down? Here's the perfect alley-oop. If they ever say it again, this is a slam dunk statement. And it'll just it talk, talk about their mama, <laughs> their grandmama, their grandkids, and how funny their hairstyle is. But get them. Anybody beside me ever been in one of those counseling sessions? Okay. Close the door. Well, well, I don't know how to not be angry. Get some help. I've been in premarital counseling sessions where uh, one of the uh, individuals uh, had an anger issue, and I stopped the premarital counseling. And I said, you need to go to anger management, and I won't continue with your premarital counseling until you complete the anger management. If you don't complete the anger management, I will not do your counseling, and I won't marry you, and I'll tell anybody that is, I'm a friend with not to marry you either. If I know the judge and the county that you're in, I'm trying to save your life. You do not want to walk down the aisle with this angry person because within three days of the honeymoon, the toothpaste going to set them off 
The toilet tissue is going to make them burn the house down. And you don't need that type of drama in your life. Don't stay angry. You want to see bitterness dissipate, don't stay angry. Point number two, write this down. Don't stay there. <laughs> don't stay there. I've heard enough bitter people say, oh, I'm not mad about that anymore. I'm over that, bless God. I prayed and I gave it to the Lord, but I bet you they won't do it again. I'm not going through that again. You can't, huh. And every time you see the person, think about the situation, you get transported right back there. And what comes out of your mouth is, I'm not mad, but I remember. I remember. I forgave you, but I didn't forget. And that's just cold for you're still there. Here's how I, I, I knew I was no longer bitter with God, because when I thought about my brother's death, all I could think about was his life and how extravagant God was to me to give me this young man to share 27 years with, and that two years before he died, he gave his life to Jesus Christ in a genuine conversion. Can I tell you about my brother's conversion? It's so dope. So my brother, uh, uh, and this is why, this is, this is another reason why I'm so not religious because God does these amazing things that I see happen in my friend's life and in my family's life, and I'm just going, God, you're just, you're just amazing. So my brother was uh, at home um, uh, two years before he died, uh, sitting on the couch drinking a 40-ounce of beer, okay? I mean, he's just knocking it down, okay? So he's knocking down this 40-ounce uh, bottle of beer, and while he's, you know, chugging it about two-thirds of the way through, he puts the beer down, and uh, the Holy Spirit says, you're a, man, you're a sinner. I'm like, Jesus is right here. You should give your life to Jesus while he's drinking a beer. So like he wasn't in a church service. <laughs> you're a good, good father. Oh, my God. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Maybe I should. Okay, nothing. nothing. Okay. He's drinking a beer at his house. Okay. So uh, my father worked nights for the U.S. Postal Service, and the Holy Spirit told my father, hey, go get your phone out of the car, your cell phone out of the car, which my dad never did because he worked nights. Everybody's usually asleep, and if anybody calls, he's a shop steward, he's going to be in his office. And the Holy Spirit kept telling them, go get your phone. He's like, why didn't, what? It's 4 o'clock in the morning. Why do I need my phone? He's like, go get your phone, man. And so my dad, being an obedient disciple, goes to get his phone, uh, gets his phone, flips it. <laughs> it was back then. He flips his phone. <laughs> He presses the power button, you know, it goes through his little thing, it, it, it pops up, it's all lit up, he got some signal, and within 10 seconds of him getting the signal, the phone rings, and it's my brother. My brother's like, Dad. He's like, yes, yeah, son, what's going on? He was like, man, I need to give my life to Jesus. Do I need to wait till Sunday? <laughs> and my dad's like, no, you can give your life to Jesus right where you are. Just come, if you believe that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you're saved. And he was like, oh, yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> Hung up the phone, finished his beer, and then accepted Jesus into his life. Okay, that's what happened. That's what happened. I'm not lying. That's exactly what happened. 
okay? And all the angels had a party. They weren't like, oh my God, wait till they get sober. <laughs> then we can party. Heaven had a party while the guy had 40 ounces of beer in his gut because he's a gracious father who's good and does miracles. When I think about that, it, I can't stay there. You took my brother. No, he didn't. So put it unto man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. It's not the way I wanted to see it happen, but that's the way it happened. Life happens, and I remember looking back how selfish I was to make it all about me. His kids lost their father. My parents lost their youngest child. And I'm over here still with my tantrum, making it about me. Instead of seeing the beauty of what God did in his life while he was here. You can't stay there. There's a lot of people when I get ready to sit down with them or they tell me what's going on, they always go back to this moment. And if I could just get over this, then I pray I wouldn't be so mad. And, but, I, but I forgive them, but I mean, I still remember. And it's like, uh, you, you'll never forget that. But you'll know you're really healed from it when it no longer stings. When it no longer brings up an emotion, you're just going, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But I don't, I don't even think about it. So don't stay there. Point number three, write this down. Don't stay the same. Don't stay the same. Best scripture I can give you for this, Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How, how do I walk as a person who's not bitter? I don't stay the same. Well, well, who do I turn into? A better version of me? No, you're terrible as you. You turn into him. I've been crucified with Christ. I don't live anymore. Christ lives in me. And if Christ could say on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do, which is the antithesis of bitterness then there's no way I can allow a situation in my life to hold me, rob me, poison me, and destroy me. You don't stay the same person. You change into the person that God wants you to be. The most extravagant gift you can give somebody that's hurt you is the attitude that says, doesn't matter, I'm over it. It will freak them out because they're, they're really still trying to apologize every time they see you. And the best gift that you could give them is to go, what are you even talking about? I'm not even thinking about that anymore. Let's get over it. Well, well, how, but, but how? Because I, I hurt you so bad. That person that you hurt is dead. I don't know if you've ever walked up to a casket, but you can pretty much do whatever you want to to that body. It's not going to respond. If that person responds, you will faint. 
or lose all control of your body, okay? Amen, baby. Hallelujah, baby. That's the only way to see this through, is you got to die. And here's what most people don't like doing, especially when we start talking about a heart issue like bitterness. I don't want to. Because some people, it's the only thing keeping them going. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I'm trying to stop. There's so many people that are fueled by success because of bitterness. All of their success is built on the back of the bitterness that they won't give up. Here is the problem with that psychology and that paradigm of thought. You're going to always need something to make you mad in order to do good. You'll always need a hater. You'll always need somebody to be mad at in order to do good, good things. I, I want to see us walk in freedom from bitterness, anger, animosity, strife, division, envy, and just do good stuff and be successful because we're free and he made us to do it. Can you imagine what it would look like if you saw blessing after blessing in your life and the only reason why it got done is because you were happy? There's nobody to be mad at. There's nobody to turn around and be like, yeah, look at me now. It's just, I'm just happy. I'm so free from my past. I can just do good stuff because he planned for me to do good stuff and I can do it because he made me into his image. That's what I want Embassy City Church to be. The people that come and visit here, I want, if you visit here once a year, I want you to walk in, get so refreshed that when you walk out, you go, I can just be the ambassador God called me to be, and I can let all of my past go and be who he has called me to be. So don't stay the same. Don't be you, be him. Don't do you. Be him. And don't be bitter. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I told you we're going to do something a little bit different uh, today. And I know this will take boldness uh, from some. But I really felt impressed in my heart to share this message because, first of all, God loves us. And whenever he loves us, he brings the type of correction that he wants to see in our lives so he can continue to do the good things that he's called us to do. And he doesn't want us to do those things under duress and under stress. He wants us to do it because we're free in our hearts and our spirits to be who he called us to be. If you've struggled with a spirit of anger animosity, a strong dislike for a person, a group of people, the church you came from, religion, whatever. If you've been envious, God, why do they get this and I don't get this? Why is this person blessed and I'm not blessed? Listen to me, those are seeds. And if you're not careful with those seeds, those seeds are going to put roots down 
And those roots are going to bring fruit up. It'll poison you. It'll poison others. So if you're here, if you're in this room under the sound of my voice and this message was for you, specifically on bitterness, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, I want you to raise your hand if that's you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, while that hand is still raised, I just want you to stand. Stand right where you are. Thank you. Now I just want you to come. Come right up here to where I am. Thank you. I know it takes boldness to do that. This is not about your title. This is not about your role. This is not about what you do. This is about whose you are. We've never done this since we've started the church to call people up to the altar, but listen to me. I just want you to look around. You're not the only one. That's one of the lies the enemy tries to tell. Don't don't tell anybody that. You're the only one that's going through this situation. Again, he wants to keep you isolated because if he can get you isolated, then he can counsel you. We're only going to be counseled by the wonderful counselor here, (laughs) not the fake antithetical one who we know whose history ends in a lake. I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of each and every one of you for walking up here. We're going to walk in freedom. And we're going to do it because we're just going to drop stuff that we don't need to hold and be who he called us to be. I just want you to turn your hands up like this. You don't have to lift them over your head, but just in a posture to receive. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Uh, Open your eyes one more time. Okay, go like this first. I know this is symbolic, so it might feel a little goofy to you, but it's symbolic, okay? Arms are like this, fists. This, this, This is how you've been holding it. You hold anger. You hold animosity. You hold a grudge. Now just go like this. That's what we're doing today, okay? We're just dropping it. I didn't say you weren't going to feel it. I didn't say it's not going to sting. What I did say is that we're dropping it. And if we can drop it, then we can do this. Okay, so turn them around. Palms up means now you can receive something. <laughs> Maybe you've been asking God, how come I'm not receiving something in my life? How, I feel like there's a blockage. Well, I can't put anything else in your hands until you drop what you have right now. And whether it's an emotion or a sentiment against God, or against an individual, against a situation that happened in your life, we're just letting it go. We're going to allow God to do something new in our life, okay? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. While that's happening, um, you may have scooted to the edge of your seat and then thought, I- I'm just going to pray from right here. And you can. There's, like, there's nothing special about up here. But, but there, is, there is something in a response like this that, that breaks something spiritually. So if you edged up to the 
uh, scooted up to the edge of your seat and you wanted to walk up here, but you didn't, and you're kind of there and you're like, oh, I wish I would have went up there, but now it's too late because he's already done all that. Just come. Thank you. I felt you. Just come. If that's you, just come. Just get it out. <laughs> Let's get it out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Just get it out. Don't come this close and don't get it out. I want to leave light. <laughs> I'm not going to leave the same way I came. I came to church on a Saturday at 5. I'm getting this out of me. Thank you so much for being honest. I love you. Oh, my God, I love this church. Ooh, you make me happy to pastor this church. Just a bunch of honest people. Thank you. Thank you. Let's just get it out. Now, I'm not going to have you say some prayer after me, okay? But I am going to pray. And while I'm praying, if there's something specific, if there's a name that comes to your mind, if the Holy Spirit pointed out and said, you're still mad at so-and-so, or you're still mad at this situation, or you're mad at me, whatever he's showing you as I'm praying, just, just confess that out of your mouth. You can whisper it. You don't have to say it loud. Nobody has to start screaming. But as I pray, just talk to God yourself, okay? God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the opportunity that you gave us, that you gave me. You let me be mad. You let me be angry. You let me fuss. You let me throw my tantrum, but you never let me go. Thank you. You are a good, good dad. Father, I ask right now that you would do for my brothers and sisters what you've done for me time and time again. That you would walk in and heal this area of my life. That you would walk in and heal this area of their lives. That you would restore, that you would set free, that you would heal, that you would refresh that you would revive. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. Where would we be without your grace? God, I thank you that what this means today is that we get to have a fresh start, a new lens, that we can bless people we used to curse. <laughs> that we can love people that we used to hate, that we can pray for people in a positive way that we used to pray against in a negative way. Lord God, I thank you that because we receive your grace and your love in this moment, our lives will never be the same. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you clap your hands? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.